as they led Jesus away, they seized one named Simon of Cyrene, and who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for Jesus. And turning to them, Jesus said, he said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green... What will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said this, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots and they divided Jesus' garments and the people stood by watching but the rulers scoffed at him and said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, if he's the chosen one, let him, let him come off that cross. The soldiers mocked him and they offered him sour wine. And they said, if you're really the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was an inscription over Jesus. It said, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was hanging next to Jesus railed at Jesus and said, to him, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. But the other rebuked him. He rebuked the other criminal, and he, and he said to Jesus, he said to the criminal, he said, do you not fear God? Since you and I are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we are under this justly. He said, we're receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, Jesus breathed his last. Now when the centurion who was standing guard saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, certainly this man, Jesus, was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home mourning and beating their breast. And all of his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching all that was going on. Luke goes on to tell us, that after this happened, a man named Joseph of Arimathea came and took Jesus' broken and beaten and dead body off the cross. And he walked the limp body of Jesus that was left, and he put him in a tomb to be buried. And it reminds me, if you've been with us in this sermon series, that just a few days ago, Jesus rode into town as a king. He came into town to shouts of Hosanna, the one who came to save. And then a few moments later, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this red mile journey begins. Jesus begins to feel the weight of taking the cup of wrath from God for the sin of all mankind. And he's in the garden and he prays and he is in agony and then he is let out of the garden in the custody of religious leaders and a government official. 
He's taken into a courtroom bound like a criminal. He's convicted of a crime that he did not commit. And now, in this moment, Luke tells us that Jesus leads his very own funeral procession as people mourn and lament on his way to the cross. All this suffering, all this pain, all this agony on this red mile journey, and in Luke's account of the red mile walk through the cross, we see Jesus going to what seems like the end. And in the midst of all this pain and this agony in Luke's account, Jesus only says four things. He only makes four statements on his way to the cross by Luke's account. And the first thing that Jesus says is he says, Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. He says, For your children, weep for them, because the days ahead are going to be hard. Jesus, on his way to the cross, broken, beaten within an inch of his life, so weak that he cannot even carry his own cross up the hill, so weak that he can barely take the next step, so much blood has been lost, so much skin has been torn, so much of life has been taken, and yet in the midst of that, Jesus says, don't cry for me. Jesus says, cry for each other because the days ahead are hard. Cry for each other because the Son of God is going to the cross. Cry for yourselves because you do not know what you're doing. Jesus says if you're going to weep, look around and weep for each other because you're missing the Son of God, the Messiah who came to save. And Jesus gets his hands nailed to the cross and his feet nailed to the cross. And as he hangs there, Jesus again makes another statement, a second statement and Jesus says these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the midst of suffering and agony, Jesus asks God to forgive the very people who are hanging him on the cross. But this makes sense because this is what Jesus has always taught. In Luke chapter 6, Luke reminds us and tells us that at one point Jesus said, love your enemies. Jesus said to do good to the people who hate you. Jesus said to bless those who curse you and to pray for the people who abuse you. And now Jesus puts into practice what he's taught. Jesus, as he hung on the cross in agony and in pain, his concern is for the souls of the very people who hung him there. Bible scholar Mike McKinley says it this way. He says there's a terrible irony of the cross. He says there's, there's something terribly ironic at the cross, and we find it, he says, in verse 35 of Luke 23. He, he says in verse 35, the, the rulers and the people around are sneering and mocking Jesus, and they say these words. They say, Jesus, well, he saved other people. Let him save himself. If he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one, let him save himself. And McKinley says this, he says, they freely acknowledge that Jesus saves people. I've, I've always missed that, that they willingly admit that Jesus saves other people. They willingly acknowledge that Jesus has performed miracles, that he has made lame people walk and blind people see, and yet they will not believe in him. And as I look at Jesus on the cross and the people who mocked him, it's tempting to think that those people are so terrible. And Jesus, why would you say this to them? Jesus, why would you tell these people 
Why would you tell God to forgive these people? But, but you and I tonight need to be reminded that Jesus wasn't just praying for them. He was praying for you and for me. When Jesus asked God to forgive the people who didn't know what they were doing, he was asking God to forgive us. Horatio, Horatio Boner is a 19th century Scottish pastor, and he penned these words years ago. He said, I see the crowd in Pilate's Hall, their furious cries I hear, the shouts of crucify appall, their curses have filled my ear. And of that shouting multitude, I feel that actually I am one. And in the din of voices so rude, I recognize my own. I see the scourgers rend the flesh of God's beloved son. As they smite him, I feel afresh that I of them am one. Around the cross, this throng I see that mock Jesus' suffering groans. Yet still my voice, it seems to be as if I'm the one mocking him alone. T'was I that actually shed Jesus' sacred blood. I'm the one who nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined in the mockery. We're reminded tonight that as we reflect on Jesus and the cross, that the forgiveness he prays for is not just for the people there, it's for us. It's for all people who put him on the cross, and that includes you and me. And in Luke's account, he tells us of this interaction between Jesus and two criminals who hang next to him. And one of them kind of mocks Jesus and wants him to get him off the cross, and the other one says, don't you know who this is? And he asks Jesus to remember him, and Jesus issues his third statement in Luke's account. He says, truly I say to you that you will be with me today in paradise and as this thief on the cross speaks, we see that he, out of all the people in this story, actually understands what it seems like nobody else has understood this far about Jesus. This, this, this thief knows that Jesus has done nothing wrong. He's the only one that seems to have figured that out. And yet he knows that Jesus' death is somehow going to lead people into a coming kingdom. See, the first thief just wants Jesus to get him off the cross. The first thief wants something that Jesus can give him. The second thief just wants Jesus. He wants Jesus to remember him. And Jesus says today, you'll be with me in paradise. And then, as Jesus breathes his last breath, he says one more thing. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in this moment, Jesus is swallowed up in darkness. In this moment, it seems like evil wins the day. On, on the cross, in this moment, Jesus drinks the full cup of God's wrath. That cup that he wrestled with at the beginning of this red mile journey. In this moment, Jesus experiences the wrath of God on the sin of, for the sin of all mankind. 
God the Father in this moment places all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. All the horror, all the fear, all the agony, all the darkness, all the punishment that you and I deserve is now poured out in concentrate form on Jesus. Jesus is hanging on the cross, betrayed by one of his own, abandoned by his friends, falsely convicted by the religious leaders of his day, punished by a government that led him to go to the cross, convicted of a crime that he did not commit, and now he is being punished by his own father. See, Jesus, as he hung, as he hung on the cross, had a choice. He had a choice. In fact, Jesus said that in John chapter 10. He said, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I could take it up again. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. Jesus said, I lay my life down on my own accord. I have the authority to take it up and to lay it down. And in this moment, Jesus has a choice. See, Jesus can either save sinners like you and me, or he can save himself. But he cannot do both. See, Jesus can either die in our place so we can go free, or Jesus can save himself and let us die. But he cannot do both. He cannot do both. Somebody has to die. And in this moment, Jesus chooses to die so that we can live. If you've been at Journey the last few weeks, we started this sermon series that we called The Red Mile, and it was kind of loosely around this idea, if you've seen the movie The Green Mile. And we talked about this idea that in that movie, The Green Mile is that walk from a prisoner's cell to the electric chair, and we talked about how they walk that familiar place numerous times, but there's one moment where they walk it for the last time. And we talked about how everything changes when you're walking somewhere where you know you're going to die. And, and that for Jesus, we've been looking at these last few moments of his life as the red mile, that Jesus is walking in familiar places. He's walking with familiar people, and sometimes he's even walking through familiar conversations. But this time, Jesus knows he's walking to die. And it changes everything. If you've seen the movie, at the very end, John Coffey is played by Michael Duncan Clark, and he's the man who's in prison but is innocent. And John Coffey is getting ready to walk the Green Mile for the last time. And Tom Hanks, who plays the warden, goes in, and he sits with John Coffey, and he asks him if he wants him to let him go. He, he says to John Coffey, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to set you free and you can run as far as you can and see how far you can get? He gives him an opportunity to go. And in the movie, John Coffey looks at him and he says, why would you do such a foolish thing? And Hanks says this, he says, when I stand before God on Judgment Day, what do I tell him when he asks me why I killed one of his most precious creations? And Coffey says these words. He looks at Hanks and tears are welling in his eyes and he simply says, I'm tired, boss. 
I'm tired. I'm tired of being on the road, lonely as a sparrow in the rain. I'm tired of never having a buddy with me to tell me what, where we're going to or coming from or why. He says, boss, mostly I'm tired of people just being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel and hear in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. I'm tired, boss. Maybe you're tired too. Sometimes the darkness of the world, it seems so heavy that I can relate to John Coffey. Some days I just want to go to God and say, I'm tired, boss. I'm tired. But we know tonight that Jesus went to die so you and I could live. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 11, if you're tired, he said, come to me. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As the band comes to lead us in our song, and communion tonight. Did you know that years ago, uh, churches used to build a cemetery? They used to build their church right behind a cemetery. Now, it's an old tradition from hundreds of years ago, but many times when Christians would build a church, they'd put a cemetery in the front yard. Seems kind of weird to me. But the idea was that every Sunday when you came to church and when you gathered, you and I would be reminded that you have to walk through death to get new life. Church, that's what we are reminded of tonight. Are you tired? Then you have to die if you want to live. And the good news is that one has already died to defeat death and sin forever. See, it seems like Jesus' red mile journey was over. But I think the red mile just begins. But I think it begins in you and me. I think you and I have to walk that mile. We have to walk with Jesus to the cross. We have to die to our old life so that we can live. I love the two pictures in Scripture that Jesus tells us to do that reminds us of this. We're going to celebrate one in just a moment. But I love the picture that Jesus gives us of baptism. That idea that when you and I publicly declare our faith, when we say we're all in with Jesus, what we're really doing is we're putting our life in a watery grave so that we can be raised anew. We're dying so that we can live. Maybe you're here tonight and you're tired, boss. Maybe you're tired of the ugliness in the world. You're tired of the darkness in your life. You're just tired. I invite you to walk to the cross. I invite you to die so you can live. 
If you want to do that tonight, if you've never buried your old life in the watery grave of baptism and been raised anew, let's do it. There's clothes in the back, there's towels back there, I'll walk right in there with you. Maybe you're here tonight, and like Michael said, you've experienced the facts of a Savior who has died for you. We invite you to partake of communion at this time. We're going to sing a song, and while the band sings, we invite you tonight just to sit. We invite you to listen, and we invite you, as you feel led, to take communion during this song. They're going to sing a couple verses, and then they're going to get to a chorus in the song where we sing, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When we get to that part after you've taken communion, we invite you to stand and to worship and to sing with us. We invite you as we sing this song to walk to the cross. We invite you to come to Jesus who died so you could live. And we invite you to put out your hand and walk the red mile with the Savior to forgive us and freedom. We invite you to do that tonight as we sing and